could say you were wrong This one time will never run I don't really care This war has gone away too long Welcome to the CBS Nightly News. I'm Vincent Rose and here's today's headlines. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, welcome to a video edition of A Private Little War. We've been absent for quite some time. Uh, Facebook keeps reminding me the people, the 63 or 64 people that uh, like a private little war haven't heard from you in like eight months. <laughs> Not that you missed us, really, really, right? Right. <laughs> but we've had uh, quite a few things going on in our lives, and also we've taken a decidedly different turn with how we're playing Star Trek Attack Wing. Taking it definitely way out of the standard field and garb and taking it totally into a more story-driven aspect. Yeah, there's some funk in my Looks beard. Like there's mushrooms growing on the top of your beard. It's just the, the yeast, but, you know, yeah. whatever, like down the yeah. hatch. Yeah. Oh, it smells good. Mazel tov. Tastes good. Advertisement. Our beer today is Almanac Beer Company. Which they are out of the Almanac, you would, San Jose, California, um, Barbary Coast. It's an imperial stout brewed with uh, cocoa nibs, chili pepper, oak, and sea salt. So interesting. As this goes on, we'll let you know what we think of it. Yeah, assuming you can still understand what we're saying because it's a ten percenter. So, <laughs> but we've taken a decidedly different approach to how we game now. I've seen on Wandering in Studios, they do um, narrative Star Trek campaigns, which basically uses Attack Wing as the ship mechanic, and they kind of role-play it, but mostly it's just a verbal thing. And, and we started doing that, except that we basically wrote, what do we call it, seasons of... Uh, of the show, we quote unquote. Yeah, we basically wrote our own episode arcs for each gameplay night, essentially. It was, uh, Vince wrote a four-part... Uh, four Five-part. Five you episode. wrote a six-part. I wrote a six-part episode. So it was... Or an arc. So it was kind of basically our own little seasons of Attack Wing, if you want to think of it. Each uh, time we sat down and did it, it was uh, basically an episode. There was uh, the verbal aspect of it, the storytelling part... And then there was the scenario that we set up. Now, one thing that I found hard with uh, doing the scenarios was the fact that I'm not a game writer and there was no time for playtesting. So that the scenarios were either sometimes cakewalks or, damn, that nearly killed me. Yeah, and we learned as we went on that the first couple episodes that we played for both of us, the uh, the gameplay aspect of it did go rather quickly, but we started learning by the time episode three of each went through that we would change up the 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 gameplay a little more to actually make it a little more difficult. And like you said, we had no time to to play test it, so it was kind of just a fly by the seat of our pants type scenario. And just from our experience in the game, it's like okay, I think this is going to be all right. And one thing I learned is that. Um, like, Kevin, let me build a 60-point Excelsior, and I let him build a 50-point uh, um, Defiant class. And we each made custom cards. Uh, I have mine right here. It's the USS Kosciuszko. Basically, uh, uh, standard Excelsior stats. 
And uh, the ability is, when attacking, you may fire outside of your primary weapon arc, range 1 to 2, at your current primary weapon value. If you do so, place an auxiliary power token beside your ship. And mine was a Defiant class, it was called the Warsaw, and essentially, s same stats as what you would have on a Defiant class, however, the special ability was, when defending, you may cancel one hit result um, when taking damage. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. When defending, cancel one hit. That was all it was, and such a simple little thing. But that was the uh, from the new the, the news the new southern new southern right? yeah. So anyway, um, and then you know for the storytelling aspect, we made our own captain cards. Here's mine, and uh, yeah, I'm actually wearing a Starfleet uniform in that. This is when you take gaming too far. Way too far, but that's okay. It, it works. And then you built it any way you wanted, but then we uh, did this. We each had uh, officers. Like, the cards were just for game mechanics, but we each had officers. Like, uh, uh, this was my executive officer, Galhara. He was uh, a Betazoid. And uh, we did that, and there's zero points, but it just adds some theme to it. And also, I did it so that I can remember who to call on for what when in, you know when yeah. role playing. And, you know, and it was mainly for the story uh, storyline aspect of it because, like you said, there is no really no points. There's no uh, you know uh, special abilities to those cards. You basically, if you set your ship up with other officers on, like say for instance, you had Jordy LaForge and Riker on yours, right? You could kind of surmise uh, attach one of those if you wanted to to one of those um, named cards. So therefore, you know, your first officer, Galhara, would be your Riker card. Or if you really wanted to think of it that way, you don't necessarily have to, and we didn't use it that yeah, way. Yeah, we didn't use it that way at all. I, it was basically, that was, I could look and see, okay, you know, um, Kilroy Stevens is my communication officer. You know, Kilroy, hail that ship! So, that's what those were for. And it's, it's a lot of fun just to make stuff like that, you know, custom cards. I actually just looked up on uh, Google um, Star Trek Celebrity Photoshop and got every single picture. My executive officer is Robert Downey Jr. A great executive officer, <laughs> by the way. Your executive officer was uh, uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Jackson. Which was e even perfect. Even and more perfect. Uh, also, since we're keeping this a family show, you're thinking to yourself... Why didn't Samuel L. Jackson get his own commission? I think it has to do with his excessive use of the word MFR. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you would have made captain by now. So we're going to actually be posting these in the file section. Our, mine's like 10 page. I think yours is like 12. Um, 12 or 13. Actually, a couple of the episodes actually ran in about seven pages, so mine's probably more about 30. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Kevin, if you feel like reading, well, it's a mini-book. Yeah, and you can use these in any way you want. If you want to try and uh, pull the mission and, and just play the mission and see how that goes and tweak it for yourself, great. Um, if you want to uh, borrow the entire season and run it for one of your friends. Now, I think you could make this... Most of the things that we did, I think you could make it work for two ships. Oh, yeah. It's definitely set up for player for player. And if you wanted to add another one onto it, you totally could. 
it would take some tweaking to do two players because it's really written for one yeah. one player. Um, but you could make it work for two players, and um, I think it adds a really a, a depth and a personal investment when you look at that ship on the board and say, "Oh, that's me. That's us." And we gotta try and make it out of here alive. You yeah. know, it's it's not it's not the whole thing. Well, I'm gonna send that Brill over there, and it's gonna die, but it's gonna cover my flank while I bring up this side. And yeah, knowing that you have characters on your crew on your ship that you have to keep on for our next episode and whatnot, kind of adds into the investment, the storyline aspect of it. Um, I mean, you actually had one that died and another one that eventually died that a couple characters yeah a couple characters that died and uh, and and you had one that uh left left it resigned from starfleet uh because of my own actions uh uh during the campaign so it's one of those things you get an a personal investment not only in storyline but in your characters uh and it makes the gameplay Less just a hack and slash beat em up story. Well, know? yeah, it takes it from a tabletop to uh, the realm of uh, tabletop and role playing. Um, I recently got GURPS Prime Directive, which is based in the Starfleet Battles universe, which is all extrapolated from the original series and I think the animated series. Um, it's neat. It's not really Star Trek. It has nothing to do with any of the cards in Attack Wing. But also, some of you may have actually played Starfleet Battles. Um, I have a few times. Never. Never. Didn't your dad? Uh, we had Fassa. The Fassa the, the, the the one was much better. Yeah. Um, but Starfleet Battles, it's been... 45 minutes and we've moved three times mm -hmm. and we've adjusted for power and everything else it's as far as realism it's great as far as fun gameplay it's taxing it's tedious at best yeah yeah and so GURPS Prime Directive is, is married to the Starfleet Battles stuff and it also um, they attempted to use uh, GURPS space rules to try and do the same thing. It was tedious and clunky and... Basically, I ordered it. I paid 20 bucks for two books. And uh, I'll cherry pick some ideas out of it, but we won't use it. But we are going to use GURPS... I should say, we've been running it just as a dialogue up until now, and now we're going to breach into actual RPG for the dialogue and everything else that doesn't take place here. So I'm going to use, we're going to use GURPS Light mm -hmm. because there's no point in using too heavy-handed of a system that making sure everything is perfectly realistic. <clears throat> it's just to make sure, you know, if there's a chance you'll fail or a chance you'll succeed. Because yeah. you actually introduced dice into yours. Right, yeah. During uh, the fourth and fifth episode, I think, is where I started using for perception rolls. Basically, you should roll it and when you're doing... I think there was a part where you were fighting a... Uh, 
Colonel Sizemore was the first time I think I introduced it in episode four, where he was uh, uh, taken over by... No, not Sizemore, Masterson. He was taken over by the Iconian. Right. And uh, you had to fight him off, essentially. Was he taken over by the Iconian, or was he taken over by the thing that... No, no, that, oh, that was that was before. That was the episode before. Oh, so, oh, it was Masterson. Yeah, Masterson. he was taken over by the Iconian device. Right. So, and you had to fight him off while he was taken over by the Iconian device, and you had to roll for uh, attack, essentially. And it was just, you know, your standard six-sided dice roll to see if you could do it. And that was really... It was just, it was basically just a roll-off. It was like, okay, beat my dice. And you were actually using, like, uh, it was like a six-sided dice against an eight-sided dice, so there was a chance that it could go way higher, higher. than I could actually do because right. he was more powerful at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah, and then eventually I grew it into the final episode where I used it for everything. I wanted, to, I actually wanted to push you to to try to say, okay, is he going to get this? Is he going to get the idea? Because in our okay, to to backtrack a bit, when we play play here. We didn't really steal too much from what we learned playing the scenarios when we first started the Private Little War. Right. We, we, we played a few of those, and we, but we didn't steal a lot of that. We winged a lot of our gameplay because, like we said, you, we had no time to play test. But there were portions of our gameplay where you had to perform certain actions in order to advance the, advance story. the story. And there was a point in the final episode where... I wasn't sure Vince was going to catch on or whatnot, so I was making him do perception rolls just to see if his officers would... If no, anybody picked yeah, up. Yeah, if anybody would pick up on a certain thing or another thing. And eventually, you know, it worked out. And you were, you had already been really good at do, picking up on things anyways through it, but it was just to advance the storyline, essentially. Using it for that. And then adding that element into it, it's like, you know what? Maybe we could take it to the next level. And if for storyline purposes... It definitely would work out because, albeit, we're doing an RPG one on one. It's not like we have a group, right. of, group we were, of people. We were basically doing an RPG anyway. It was just mostly a dialogue, and then it was like, okay, you succeed or you don't. That was just like GM personal whim, right? Um, and now it'll throw a little randomization into it, you know? Yeah. Um, so in our writing ability, when we, I believe we've both kind of started writing our next uh, story. Oh yes, arc. absolutely. Um, in our when we're writing now, we have to kind of be prepared for the random randomness, and also each other's because we're building our own character. We already kind of have an idea of where our character is, but now we're building our own quirks and our own you know advantages and disadvantages into it. Those can play into the the storylines moving forward. Now it's not going to be as in depth as if we were actually sitting down to play a full night of, of GURPS. Because, no, 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 because um, most of our scenarios, I think, uh, ran... The last two for both of us ran about an hour and a half. Yeah. and uh, But mostly, they ran about an hour, hour, 20 minutes tops. Give or take, yeah. And is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, to the gameplay section, one of the things that when you're doing something like this, you could just do it standard attack wing, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But one of the things that really kind of made it fun doing this as a storyline aspect was adding the flavorful story here and there, like I captain and this captain, kind of throwing out your orders to your, to your ship, to your crew while you're playing. It's, yeah, okay. 
it's corny, but we are playing a Star Trek tabletop game. Okay, it's, so it's a lot of it's a lot of damn fun actually it, because it, it's like you know, <clears throat> you know, keep her steady, fellas. Tactical, look sharp, you know, yeah. stuff like that. And I mean, if you've listened to our previous podcast before, you know we've said we say we joke, do the exact same we, thing. We joke time. all the time, you know, the our do. Ducat. You know, we, we do stuff like that all the time. So it just adds that flavor to it, except now we're taking it to a point to where it's like, you know, throw it in. I Captain, you know, hard to starboard, that sort of thing. You know, just a little bit here and there. Like I had Jordy the Forge on there, uh, the one from the new starter, and that allows you to add, uh, what is it, two? Yeah, two time tokens. No, two hard. time tokens, but, but it allows you to add two to any movement. Right. And so... I had the Excelsior, and one of the things I really utilize the Excelsior for is making it a four straight, full astern. And every time I did that, it's like, auxiliary power to the engines, full astern on my mark. You know? Yeah, just, I mean, we're dorks. We're all playing a Star Trek game. Might as well live it up while we've got it, you know? I think before we go, um, I think we should uh, talk a little bit about the flavors of each of our campaigns and... uh, and what we were doing, and how we came to write that kind of campaign. Okay, you can go first. Well, I knew Kevin's favorite series was Deep Space Nine. And I really wanted to try and infuse some of that grittiness, uh, basically darkness, into that campaign for him. Now, I set mine during the Klingon Civil War, and Kevin basically became drafted by Starfleet Intelligence to work for them. And so it was behind the scenes, like, you know, Picard and everybody else is, you know, doing all of this stuff out in the open. It's in the episodes. And then Kevin's character is behind the scenes. And I was... I was kind of inspired by uh, Discovery to create uh, a cult among the Klingons called the Hammer of Molor. And uh, I made them into this mysterious force that was helping to supply the, the, the House of Duras. It took some interesting turns along the way, and I made Kevin make some really hard moral decisions. Decisions I never thought I would actually make in a game that would actually make me think twice about my own morality and my own personality. If anybody's ever played, uh, uh, what is it, uh, not the newest Wolfenstein game, but, uh, oh, Wolfenstein The New Order, uh, that first choice when you have to choose. Who dies when they're torturing people? Yeah, they were those kind of decisions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I actually thought about it after game night on the way home and in the, overnight. And in the next morning, I was like, wow, did I really come close to actually I, I came close to actually doing something Starfleet and humanity really should never do. But we have definitely done in our past and are still doing it. But, you know, it's... It, but it was, Starfleet is an ideal. You know, uh, we all know that in Deep Space Nine it got a little dirty, but Starfleet is an idea. We're explorers, we're scientists, we're 
this, that, and the other thing. Except that we have a whole bunch of phasers and photon torpedoes too. So you know, just. I definitely had one of those, um, Cisco, was it Pale Moonlight? Yeah. I definitely had one of those can I live with it moments to where I, I, I evidently I couldn't live with it. So I, I, but I got to that point to where I was like, can I live with this if I actually go through with it? Can, but then I started questioning it. And that's the thing too. Because of the fact you don't know the storyline that your, your opposite's throwing at you, you have to kind of build on that and think critically not just to, to think tactically on a on a game field but in a storyline where you don't know where the story is going to really unfold you have to think critically so if someone get, puts a, a grenade of biogenic weapons in your hand do you throw it at people who may be innocent maybe not or do you just uh put it in a box and put it on the shelf that sort of thing and and you have to kind of you know you always think okay so that pretty much happened yeah essentially <laughs> I mean when you're playing a game on a on a system you know oh I'm just gonna throw the grenade you think oh yeah kill him but then when you really think about it and get right down to it playing a storyline like this you Vince blew my mind on that because it made me think as not just my character in a story. But I actually, because of the fact we built this idea the where we're kind of self-invested in the characters and well, the storyline. Well, I mean, let's, let's face it. We kind of did this as putting ourselves... What do we want to be, most of us? Starfleet captains. Yeah. And we kind of put ourselves in that role. I mean, literally kind of like personality. I have a very informal play style, so I kind of did a very informal captain style. Mm -hmm. And... That personal investment, that personal touch to things, and looking someone else in the face when you say, "I'm going to try," I'm going to actually kill 200 innocent people in order to save the Federation, or at least salvage this mission. It's a little harder. It than is. It is because I also took it as you know okay my character is me if I got fast-forwarded and somehow transported into the future and became a captain would I really do that and that came to a point in a head where I was like no I no I wouldn't so I questioned it and, and that's the thing you you question your morals and you can lead the story too because like in an RPG question you can ask you can do this you can do that and try to and of course the GM will steer you yes or no but having that ability it's like oh okay maybe i shouldn't kill 200 innocents yeah well i'll wrap this this my little section this up but basically i had uh i tried to keep all ties to the actual series other than the fact that it's in the same universe to a minimum but i did introduce one character and uh it was sloan sloan luther sloan we know okay. Sloan. And it kind of turned into a little Section 31 party. Ain't no party like a Section 31 party. Because a Section 31 party is not endorsed by the Federation. It technically, <laughs> it doesn't exist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, I, it was just a nice touch. And yeah, you could say it's fan service, but it, it, it really brought it kind of... Into into reality. Into of, uh, the fact that this is in the same. Yeah, it's in the same timeline. It's in the same universe as like Next Generation. For exactly, it's, but it's in the prime. It's just behind the scenes of what everybody sees in that. So. Right. Now we should move on to yours. Yes. Yeah. 
Now mine, I took it to a, a, a level similar to your, the way yours was. I wanted to see parts of Star Trek history that we never really got a chance to delve into. I took mine because when you look at Star Trek Attack Wing, there's a lot of ships. But there's a lot of storylines that we don't have ships for. So I chose Cardassians as being one. I chose the Cardassian Federation engagement, which could have been considered a war. The border wars. The border wars, essentially. That you have tidbits, especially during um, uh, DS9. You don't really know the storyline aspect to it. What really happened? You can go on canon. You can go on expanded universe, and you, you can see, but you don't really ever know. So Vince started off as a commander on. Uh, the Schwarzkopf. I was a tactical officer. I was like third in, 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 in line, line for command. command. And it started off in a battle in Scorva, which it, it, when you read the story, you'll know the full thing. But he eventually gets drafted into an organization that he's not aware of at first, but then it turns out to be the Makos. Because you don't ever hear about the Makos after Enterprise. Minus the um, Enterprise or um, the, the, the reboot Episode 3 Beyond, Star Trek yeah, Beyond. Because they did talk about that and how... The Mako ship and so on and so forth. But you never hear about the Makos again, really. And, you know, so I was like, you know what? I think the Makos need... I wanted to add something different to what we were doing. I wanted to add ground troops as an option, as a thing. And that's where I took the Makos. But then I also started, as I'm writing the story and writing it... There were so many other things that Next Generation and all the other Star Trek series touched a little bit upon that I really wanted to add in that never really saw the light of day after. Uh, for instance, the Bluegill invasion of of the Star of Starfleet of yeah. the Federation. Yeah, that was they 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 did that and they totally abandoned it. And I think they ended up replacing that whole thing with the Borg later. Yeah, on. eventually. But it was so it was a neat idea and it was because. Was it the message being to the Delta Quadrant? Delta Quadrant, yeah. yeah. So, so I, I wanted, to, I took it that route, but then I, I kind of wanted it to because he had to land ground troops in one episode to where he had to fight off, uh, you know, a contingent of Cardassian make and uh, Mako forces that were joint forces because the way I brought the storyline, as you'll read. The Makos are not just a Federation thing. They involve many races, of course, being Federation. But they also had the Mako or had Cardassians on their side too. They were in league with them. So I wanted to build on that. That the Blue yeah, Gills, the, the 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 fact that uh, you basically isolated me at that point. I was in charge of a uh, ship full of Makos and some Starfleet, mm-hmm. but then. You made it so that I couldn't trust anybody. Right. You didn't know who might have bluegill, who may not. And there were points there where people were fighting that didn't have bluegills. So you were like, okay, what's going on? And then I threw the big whopper that the bluegills were connected with Iconians, which I did take some frame of reference for people who have played Star Trek Online. I did take that a little bit, but that was about it. So, so I brought the Iconians into it because we've been wanting Star Trek. They've touched on the Iconians in Next Generation and in the Federation, and apparently there was a reference in Voyager to the Iconians. Tom Paris said something yeah. to Ensign Kim about the Iconians, and we made contact with an Iconian gateway to to throw Kim off. You know, the did not aware is, of that. Voyager trivia is probably my weakest point. <laughs> <laughs> I found that out based memory out, out uh, memory beta that added that I was like, "Oh, I did not ever catch that." 
Because there, I'm, I'm pretty sure there are still episodes of Voyager I have not seen. There's a lot that I really just skip over when I'm watching the series. Um, but it was... I, I threw the Iconians in because I love the idea of this ever-powerful race that just got wiped Well, and it also... Out. It also replaces the Borg as the big scary. Mm-hmm. You know... That's one thing Voyager did do, is they completely neutered the Borg of their... When the first run of Next Generation was out, if the Borg were there, I literally got nervous. Yeah. Because they were that scary most of the time. And in uh, Voyager, the Borg episodes, not really so much. They, They really took away a lot of... The things that made the Borg, you know, the the part of it was the Borg Queen. I'm not gonna. Lie. No, yeah. Well, and the the fact that there was a harsher enemy, there was an enemy that could defeat the Borg with species eight four seven nine eight four six two eight four seven two eight four seven two. I mean that that added, you know, that kind of dumbed dumbed the Borg down because oh, they can be defeated. There is a way. Well, we already knew they could be defeated, but there's something. Worse than the Borg, so, right? So they kind of dumbed it down. But with the Iconians, and the thing that I really wanted to bring about, which you handled perfectly, was I actually added a card to your ship because one of his characters, uh, Masterson, who became who ended up becoming due to his crew chief, who stuck with him from the first episode, got killed because of he he got taken over by the Bluegill. Another one of your uh, chiefs was so interested in this device that was in my ship that basically he bonded with it um, and became part of it, actually. Yeah, and became part of the ship. Because if you destroyed this Iconian device, you destroyed the ship. But he became part of the ship, essentially. Yes. His, his, uh, his, consciousness, his, his consciousness is in the computer. In the computer. And so that helps you out. And I actually gave him an option to build a card that gives him, I think it's two or three extra shields. Yeah. And he talks to him a lot. Uh, well, <laughs> that was initially how I figured it out, because I had uh, made a com call to sickbay and talked about something, and then suddenly it happened. Yeah, and that was perfect, because you rolled that, you said that as like, Wonder if I, I and I and, and I it was like like we need to get shields up or something like that and then shields like the other engineer said sir I've got shields up again it, it, we're good and then I said and Masterson was already in like a, a, a catatonic state yeah at this he was point. he was still alive but I I radio I, I calmed him and I said uh, bridge to Masterson increase weapons efficiency. And suddenly we had an extra die. Yeah. And that was the thing, too, is that another thing that I kind of brought in. Because I wanted aspects of Star Trek, but I didn't want to... And you made it a little, a, a little more uh, detective... Detective-esque. I had to do a lot of figuring things out. Right. And you did it with, with like, flying colors. You passed tests. Like, you blew up moons that... I didn't yes. think he would do <laughs> moons that were controlling things, and you blew them up, and I was like, oh, yeah, you figured it out without me even having to, to drop hints. And where you brought some mirror universe 
Right, I, I did, and uh, and uh, that was to bring some extra flavor into it, and uh, also to touch on the discovery aspect that you were leading on before was that that the hammer and molar. Yeah, and well, I, I borrowed a lot of the ideas from Discovery. I didn't borrow like anything, like say, okay, I'm just taking this from Discovery and putting it in my game. Right. But I took a lot of the flavor. Discovery dealt with the mirror universe. Discovery dealt with, uh, you know, Klingons especially, and I wanted to work that all in. Klingons were my favorite thing about TNG and DS9. Yeah, and mine, it was like. I wanted to go everything that we didn't have in Next Generation, albeit I had to go back in time. I had to jump the shark a little bit, bit and do some time travel. I actually Gotta brought... go back yeah. in time. <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, Sorry. No, it's all right. Huey Lewis and News, it's okay. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the one thing that I, I wanted to do was take it a little bit back... With, um, I actually brought the, um, actually I, I, I took a little cue from, uh, Star Trek Continues. Um, I wanted to bring the, uh, crap, I can't think of it. City on the Edge of Forever. Oh, the Guardian of Forever. The Guardian, I actually brought the card at, gar, the Guardian of Forever into it, and I actually had some time travel into it, which I was a little worried about, jumping the shark on that storyline. But, but I, it, it didn't really do much. I basically went to the Guardian planet just to ask the Guardian a question, and then I, it's like, you know, this is where you need to go. Can you take me there? Yeah, and boom, you were there. And then, uh, which coincidentally, you ended up with perfect grace and style at the end, setting up the Enterprise and Varley for um, the episode where they find Iconia. Yeah. So... I, I did so much research into, you know, we found out so much about the Iconians during this mission. I said, uh, I asked the computer at the end of the episode, I'm like, computer, who's the leading Federation expert on the Iconians? It's like, Captain Donald Varley. And it was just, it was just Give me Captain Donald Varley. And then I uh, gave him the coordinates of uh, this, the Iconian planet, where... Bad things happened to Varley. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it eventually filled in the gaps to let Star Trek to let Next Generation fall in. So it was like that. I wanted to lead that whole story arc, and at the same time, it was behind the scenes like yours was. But I wanted it to lead in to what we know as actual Star Trek canon, and both of the stories worked out so perfectly with grace and style. And it was like, yeah, yes. I can't wait for the next episode. Yeah, we were both on the edge of our seats. And tell you what, the one thing that I was like, uh, I don't know if you were, but I was sweating each time. I'm like, man, I gotta make it as good as Kevin's episode. No, we it was a Duke battle every episode, <laughs> every week. Was like, because you started the whole thing off. So I was like, oh man, that was great. I gotta <laughs> write as good of a story as he did. And I was actually worried every episode. I was like, ah, is this really going to stand up? And you kept that outshining me. You no, 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 no. I, I would disagree. But that is, you know. For us to, yeah, to agree to disagree that it was like, we we both, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I loved your storyline so much that it was, if you have ever, re if you've read Star Trek novels, if you've read Star Trek canon, if you've ever even opened up like a Star Trek compendium of timelines... It's like being there. That's that's what it is. It's like 
you know, your favorite Star Trek novel, it's like being there. And I'm going to kill the dogs. But anyway, we should probably wrap this yeah, up. Yeah, it's... Yeah, yeah. If you like it, please go to the files section and uh, download it. They'll be up within a couple days. Yep. Um, but, as always, uh, hope you have good die rolls and... We'll see you in Stomacor! A Private Little War is hosted, recorded, engineered, and edited by Vincent Rose and Kevin Klodzinski. This podcast is based on a segment from the podcast Warp Core Breach. The segment is Mission Briefing by David Griffin. Warp Core Breach is recorded and produced by David Montgomery and Nick Norris. Music is provided by Garage Sale Porno and the V-Night Jacks. We are not affiliated with WizKids or CBS. All rights belong to WizKids and CBS, with the exception of Warp Core Breach, The Mean Eye Jacks, Garage Sale Porno, and A Private Little War. You can follow and reach us at A Private Little War Podcast on Facebook. Always keep up the good fight. We'll see you next time.